In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis from all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. And today we're joined by James Salzer to talk about the end of uh, what, what is it, weird, bizarre, I don't know what, how you call it, but James, you wrote that in, in your, you've covered every legislative session in Georgia since 1990, and this was by far not only the longest, but also the weirdest. Yeah, I don't think there's any um, question, and I, I was, to, to make sure it wasn't just my, you know, kind of viewpoint as a reporter, I talked to a lot of long term, long time people who have been there much longer than I have. And uh, they all said the same thing. It was it was kind of interesting because that was the first the first w- words out of most people's mouths um, uh, when this started a couple of weeks ago when the session restarted was this is just weird. And it, it did. There was so many little things about it that were strange um that it'd be interesting because it's it's really was a trial run because i think they'll um if there's still a you know bad pandemic going on in january they'll make some changes but um you know there'll be similar limits i would think yeah you know it's a weird session when the house speaker david ralston tells everyone not to rip up paper you know, as the annual tradition of throwing shredded paper like confetti in the air to, to mark the end of the session, when he tells them not to do that because they want to limit exposure to janitors. And instead, um, you know, they have a much quieter celebration. It was a very muted, signy die, um, but one that, you know, a lot of major things happened and we'll get into it. I mean, James, what was your standout moment from, from this session? I mean, the, 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 the two biggies, um, obviously, and, and they were kind of going to be the biggies from day one and, and, um, um, from the from the moment almost the session restarted, were um, was passage of the hate crimes, which um, you know the Senate Republicans messed around a bit with it um, the first week, and you it looked like it wasn't going to happen. I mean, look, they looked like they put poison pill into it, so it wouldn't happen. And within you know the couple of days, it was um, on the fast track to pass, and then. Um, and then obviously uh, the, the money issues, which I, I assume will be continuing for actually a couple of years with the recession, um, that that turned out, I think, better than uh, at least people in state government thought it would. Yeah, they, they weren't as drastic as, as, as first, you know, first conceived. Um, and even even the 14 percent cuts were, were were shrunk to about 10 percent cuts when it was all said and done. 
Um, but still, that took $250 million of rainy day fund um, reserves that the governor deal when he was in office was very reluctant to ever tap into. Governor Kemp said if there's ever a time to use these rainy day funds, it's right now. Yeah, he's they, they've uh, he, you know, and I, I know Governor Kemp has this in the back of his mind and his people do. And so do the, the House and Senate budget writers is, you know, they they can't empty that this upcoming fiscal year because in the, the next fiscal year, um, there are projections that they're going to have to cut some more. So, um, it, you know, you don't want to, what happened in, in the great recession is they emptied it, you know, pretty much emptied it in like six months. They just had like no other way of doing it. Um, so, um, the, it, 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 they used both. It was actually two reserves they used. They used that reserve. And the other reserve they used, which was kind of surprising, I thought, was they were willing to cut basic K-12 funding, $950 million. Um, but it was made a lot easier by the fact that school districts around the state have been, um, uh, I mean, not everyone, but a lot of them have been piling up uh, reserves. So they actually, the 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 if you count up all the money that's in, in school district reserves um, uh, around the state, it's actually a, a larger amount of money than the state has in reserves. So I think they were the the budget writers looked at it and said, you know, yeah, this is we don't want to you know cut education if we don't have to, but they have this pool that they can use to kind of mitigate those cuts, which is why which is kind of why it wasn't as bad. I think that was huge reason why it wasn't as bad because if they didn't have if they didn't have reserves which they didn't have these kind of reserves during the recession great recession um then 950 million dollars would have been you know to a lot of districts would have been catastrophic i mean you would have had uh you would have had particularly in in rural parts of the state you would have had and you still might have a little bit of this but you would have had um, them having to shorten the school year to 170 160 days you would have had furloughs of teachers, you might have pay cuts of teachers, you might have layoffs, you might have programs um, cut. And I think the, the fact that so many of them have reserves and they got a bunch of uh, federal CARES Act money, they got $450 million, I think, in federal CARES Act money. Um, I, I think that that those two things kind of uh, really softened the blow. Yeah, it was a very interesting debate over over the budget, too. I mean, you've seen a lot of these budget debates, but I remember a few years ago, only a handful of Democrats would vote against the budget. Um, one of them, I remember in 2014, one of the maybe the biggest issues of, of Jason Carter when he was a state senator and he was running for governor, he voted for the budget, but then was critical of, of Nathan Deal for, for signing the budget. And Deal's answer was always, well, you, you, you voted, you, you for, voted it, right? for it. I remember that. This time around, it was very different. You had about, you know, 60 or so um, Democrats in the House uh, vote vote against the budget. So it's and all the and all the Democrats Democrats in the Senate did. Yeah. So much more partisan lines um, on the budget and over another issue that you're looking at too, which was um, uh, legislative pay cuts. Right. Yeah. The, the 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 difference though, I would say, in any of the budgets that Nathan Deal had versus this was that you know besides this is an election year and and you know the the. House Democrats desperately want to be able to uh, gain the seats to take over. I mean, you 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 had legitimate even even though this is much was much you know not much better than it could have been. Um, you you had legitimate spending cuts, and at the same time, the the Democrats were trying to say, you know, in in 2014 when Jason Carter did that, they didn't need they, there wasn't a desperate need to 
um, there wasn't a big decline in revenue and there wasn't a need or at least an attempt to in, increase revenue. This time around, the Democrats and, and some Senate Republicans also were really pushing a uh, cigarette tax increase. We have, I think, 48th or 49th highest uh, cigarette taxes in, in the in the in the country. Um, they wanted to, you know, cut back on some of the special interest tax breaks. There's like $10 billion in, in tax breaks, um, you know, throughout the, the state state law. So it was like it was I think it was that you they were going to have to cut spending at the same time. There was such a shutdown by the speaker and uh, and you know, other Republicans in the House to say, we're just not going to do that. We're you know, we're. We are not in election year um, going to raise taxes. Not not, and that's kind of it's kind of oblivious to the uh, the, the polling that shows like what seventy five or eighty percent of people think is a good idea to raise cigarette taxes. So, um, but that's just you know they just didn't, weren't going to do it. And I think that's why there was this so such you know consternation on that vote. Yeah, we've talked a l- at length about about hate crimes, which is the other major major initiative that that passed. Um, this session, but you you are also following some some of those tax um, tax and, and audit legislation as well as um, a very interesting bill that would allow the sale the delivery of booze and alcohol. Can you talk a little bit about the uh, the path yeah, that's taken to the legislature? That's a that's uh, that's like a twenty year I think um, uh, development of <laughs> thinking maybe in the legislature. I don't know if that's the right word to say. I mean, right way to say it, but. You know, 20 years ago, if anybody had filed the bill and 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 um, as I refer to as the liquor boys, the liquor store owners, um, it's like five or six hundred small liquor stores um, have have it, they had such a strong lobbyist and they had and historically they had such a strong lobbyist that those bills would be dead. They I don't even know if they would get a hearing. They might get a hearing, but there was no way they would move. And then uh, in 2005 or six, um, grocery stores started who also have a very powerful lobbyist um started pushing this idea of allowing um liquor and, and not liquor but beer and wine to be sold at uh, at grocery stores on sunday and so there's been this progression since then and that took five years that took for essentially for us to get a new governor because that governor sunny purdue at the time um was a teetotaler who didn't you know who, who wasn't it wasn't for expansion of any kind of uh, alcohol laws and then nathan deal as soon as he got in office you know signed it um it got passed very quickly but it, there's been a progression there's been you know uh there's been brew pub bills there's been all these things and so uh it was interesting because um Rep- uh, representative um harrell who's chairman of the ways and means committee which is a tax writing committee um has pushed this for a couple of years and when it when it came up in the Senate, it was interesting because Ed Harbison, who was a senator from Columbus, had passed had had tried sub uh, similar bills, you know, several years ago, but the timing wasn't right. Now I, I kind of wonder. Although I've kind of thought this was set a good shot before coronavirus. I think the pandemic shutdown just dr- increased dramatically the the desire for people to be able to have stuff delivered. Um, I would, one of the um, uh, grocery store lobbyist was telling me that that she had stores um, where the increase in delivery uh, sales, that, that, that those sales had increased more than 100% in the month of April. And that kind of gave impetus to, you know, first of all, we have this idea that, you know, more and more people are getting stuff 
delivered to them anyways, by whether they buy it on Amazon or whether they buy it on a local store. Um, but but then you had this situation where many people, uh, myself included, did not go to the grocery store. We had stuff delivered. Um, and so that it made it kind of, you know, I think it made it uh, much easier to sell that argument. I think it was going to, I, I, I really think because of the way things are changing and Oh, that's interesting. I mean, so do you, do you think that it was set to, was it, do you think it would clear the general assembly if not for the pandemic? I think it would, I think it, you know, I was thinking about this at the time because I, I, it passed, if I remember correctly, it passed the house like the week of the shutdown. It might've been right before, but I think it was about the week of the shutdown and um, they weren't, they weren't certain. I, I mean, Representative Harrell certainly was not certain it was going to pass um, at the time. But I kind of thought it had momentum. But I think I think there was I, I didn't I think once coronavirus happened, that was it. That's interesting, Chris, because obviously hate crimes is another bill that, that, that was doomed, it seemed, before the um, the protest movement and before the pandemic uh, hiatus, because the session would have ended on time. And, you know, who knows in an alternate universe what would have happened to that bill. But it, lo- it looked like it was going nowhere fast. Before right. um, before the protest and, and the video of Ahmad Arbery's death, right? Yeah, it wasn't that. That definitely was not. I don't, I don't think that that was going to go anywhere. I mean, I think that I think that's an example of of the of the timing, um, which makes it even more interesting. As as I know, you've written about this idea that well, what's the next step on um, social and racial justice? You know, the platform. Um, can they, are they, are they going to be, are there, is there going to be appetite next year for this? Um, cause the timing was, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't to pass that bill, you couldn't have had, you know, more things happen around it that, that were more likely to get it passed. Yeah. In a way, in a way it sounds terrible, but in a way it's a perfect storm, you know, of, of, of just of, of tragedy and, and, and protest and, and, and uproar, um, that, that forced, in particular, the Georgia Senate um, to, to to make a move on it. Um, look, you know, we, we've talked a lot about that bill, but um, there's been, you know, it was just a very bizarre session. And I just want to get your your thoughts on the the environment. I mean, you were there pretty much every day um, of those eleven days. Um, you were there on a Saturday when they when they came in just to keep the clock running because they had to make sure it wasn't just to keep the clock running because they actually did you know had floor debate that day but they had to make sure that this budget was passed before July first and signed into law. Um, so what was it like every single day to see some lawmakers masked, some weren't? Um, reporters were either in the gallery of the Senate or in the little glass box in the House, as they usually are. Um, but what was the environment like with just fewer people? Uh, uh, but but it seemed, you know, at some time, at, at times tenser. At sometimes it seemed just I don't know surreal is is the best word. Yeah, for I think I think that's probably the best word. I was a, I was a little bit prepared for it because um, I had covered um, the, the Senate um, Appropriations Subcommittees had been meeting. Um, live for a few weeks before the session. And so I got to see who was wearing masks, who wasn't, how they, how it was going to be run. And it, it, it kind of ran like that during, um, during the session. But yeah, it was, it was strange. The first day went up. um, So all, almost all the lobbyists, it was a a group of conservative lobbyists who did not wear, who just didn't even look like they had masks, but all the lot, everybody else had masks. 
Um, there wasn't a lot of social distancing because I don't I don't know that lobbyists know how to social distance anymore than legislators or reporters for that matter. Um, so in the in the, the House, it mandated that you had to wear a mask. Um, the speaker had to probably remind them every couple of days because there again there were Republican legislators who were married who were wearing it around their necks and not, you know, they weren't, you know, they obviously didn't want to be wearing it. So, and they weren't going to wear it properly. Um, and, and they also were, you know, going up and having the close conversations that, you know, you probably shouldn't have if you're social distancing, but it was, it, it was, yeah, it was a, there was some defiance I think going on. And, and then it was, it was odd. The house to me was, but just much more, which much odder than the Senate because the Senate, you, 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 not everybody was in there at the same time, but the voting was similar. It, you, you still voted a machine and, and, um, and it, it moved more quickly, but the house, um, had, uh, you know, a certain number they have, they had like half the members sitting at their seats. They had another group that were in the balcony, um, of the chamber. And then they had people in, um, uh, members in, in room 341, which is the, rules and, and budget room, um, which is a way. So it kind of, I think probably muted the, the, um, the debate on bills. And then every bill, um, in every amendment, every motion, um, that wasn't unanimous, um, which is most of them, um, they had to do a roll call vote. So that roll call could take 10 or 15 minutes. So it kind of automatically slowed down, um, what was going on. I don't know that any, you know, changed any votes, but it did, it did make it less likely that they would do what they do most of the time on the 38th and 39th and 40th days, which is just ram stuff through. And, you know, I think they vote like hundred, 150 times on the house and Senate on, on the, the 40th day or the 39th day, because they're just voting and voting and voting and, you know, very little description of what bills do. Um, now again, some of that some of that did take place. I mean, there was a there was a uh, uh, episode in the Senate Finance Committee where they they passed a, a bill that cut either eliminated or severely cut um, about three dozen tax breaks. Well, the, the 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 bill wasn't filed that way. They just stuck this in a bill. And then they didn't. Just, then they did. They they just said, you know, we're going to vote on this. Didn't let it. Didn't let anybody in the public talk about it. Didn't give it to the public, so the public didn't actually know what they were doing, um, which is kind of the way it usually is. But it was it was weird. It was stranger than usual because usually if you do that, there's a bunch of lobbyists in there who want to you know find out about it. Well, they the those the committee meeting rooms essentially wouldn't let lobbyists or the public in. So they were doing this kind of in, in, uh, you know, there was a streaming video, but other than that, you didn't see what they were doing or you wouldn't know what they were doing. And you didn't, you certainly didn't, you know, the public did not have copies of what they were voting on. Um, so, uh, it, it was kind of in, in a way in the, in the sense that everything was streamed, um, there was more transparency in that way. It was more streamed than there's ever been before. But on the other hand, you don't, if you don't know what they're voting on, it's kind of, you know, useless. Yeah. It's hard to follow the debate if you if you can't even see what they're what the what the legislation they're talking about is. 
And and that's another thing I want to talk to you about because we we usually do this pre signy die podcast or stories about all the shenanigans that can happen because there's usually there's usually all sorts of big bills that are still up for debate <clears throat> either either the day before signy die or, or signy die itself. In this case, there still were some big issues um, and there were still some shenanigans. There was just a lot of behind the surface because me and you were getting tips all day long about things like the casino bill making maybe a, a last ditch effort. Um, there was ethics legislation that really would would allow uh, unlimited <laughs> unlimited um, funding for for different uh, political parties and PACs and things like that. It would open the the floodgates for that. And then there was this late attempt. Um, by by Republican leaders to talk about rolling back citizens arrest legislation uh, due to the uh, you know another sort of aftermath of the Ahmad Arbery death um, because that legislation that citizens arrest statute was invoked to justify his killing at least initially by a prosecutor before before they were overruled. Um, so what what shenanigans were you watching and, and how was it different watching them from you know from a more remote distance in some sense? Well, the the the, the the last day, which was Friday, I thought was going to be like a really, really, really dangerous day for the people of Georgia because they had done hate crimes and they had done the budget. So they'd really done the two things that were kind of on the, the, the hot topics or the, or the big the big deals. Um, the ho- I mean, technically, the House didn't approve the, the budget until, you know, late Friday, but we all knew who that, where that was going to go. And, and the deal had already been struck. A, a budget hasn't been voted down since Oglethorpe, probably. So you kind of knew once the deal was made that that was going to go through. So the the one, I, th- I mean, I think I think the, the campaign finance one you mentioned was was interesting um, because it was it was um, it wasn't completely obvious what the, the I mean, you and I both talked about several you know rumors about what the the goal was, but it wasn't completely obvious what they were trying to do. Um, I actually had a different interpretation than, than you did about it, about it. But um, the and then the the bill on liability was interesting because it was, a, 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 from what I gather, an attempt by people who didn't couldn't get tort reform quote reform uh, changes in a tort law um, through earlier in the session before coronavirus to kind of get more legal liability. Um, I mean, uh, eliminate legal liability um, post coronavirus. So, I mean, that was a bill that like, um, there were a few bills in the session. That was one of them where, you know, you saw all the lobbyists underneath the TVs watching this as it was going on. Um, Because the business community really, really, really wanted this. and so that to me, the, those were the one. The, they, there were there was a lot of rumors going on, but there were always. It's, they, I think I think you know the other thing is, is we're talking about this right after the session, and it, we'll, we'll find out in about two weeks some of the stuff that they did. You know, there's there's going to be stuff that we're not that that they didn't you know snuck into bills on the last minute probably that we won't. You know, it'll be a while before we find out. And about it. certainly, lawmakers who were voting on them didn't know, didn't know about it. At least mo- most of them. Uh, right, you you always kind of find that where where we you interview lawmakers. Did you know that you voted to open the floodgates? Oh yeah, that's an every that's an every year. Yeah, that's an every year thing. Uh, although you know, sometimes when I when I hear that, I'm going like, yeah, you knew, you just don't want to admit it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if it's something 
if it's something bad that, you know, they're, oh, I didn't know anything about that. I'm like, okay, yeah, I've heard that before. (laughs) So basically, there were still shenanigans. They were a little harder to track than usual. And we might be seeing the repercussions of those shenanigans for weeks. Well, they they will have long lasting effects, but we might not be even finding out about some of them for weeks to come. Yeah, we weren't. I mean, I don't, I don't, I think they were, I had another reporter ask me about uh, a piece of legislation today where they were, they said, well, this was stuck onto this. And I said, yeah, that's the 40th day is you take one bill that you can't get passed through a chamber and then you stick it on the back end of something that or you completely eliminate what what some bill said and you just stick it in there and you try it. You just you know, you're trying it over and over. So there'll, there'll be some of those that um, we'll we'll see. And again, because of the way the, the because of the way things worked. It wasn't, I think there probably was less kind of uh, willing and dealing that actually got through because, uh, you know, the campaign, the campaign finance bill was an example of one that like, you know, if it was, the, if it was the regular way that thing, I mean, if it was a regular session where they just were voting on, you know, bill after bill, after bill, after bill, that could have gotten through, um, you know, so people wouldn't have known what it was. And, you know, often the author will get up and say this bill, uh, um, you know, renamed uh, X bridge somewhere. And then, but at the bottom of it, it says something completely different. I mean, and they don't talk about what they added to it. So um, I, 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 I'm sure I'm almost sure that there's some of that, but I, I, I think the slowing down of the process in the house probably cut that into that a little bit. Well, stay tuned. James, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, There'll be plenty more to talk about. Bill signing period ends August 5th. So between now and August 5th, the governor will be signing dozens of bills into law, and then he'll make the decision of which ones to veto. So there'll be plenty more to talk about and to analyze. Uh, And James, you'll be all over it. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, that's all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to AJC.com forward slash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. You'll get access to our daily newsletter, along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. It really means a lot to us when you do. And as always, thank you for listening. Hip hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song. A celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-Hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.